Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Ray Drew. Ray got involved in SBA lending at the age of 21 and has spent the last decade providing small business owners with SBA capital. Ray's current role is managing SBA business development officer at Fund X Solutions Group, an SBA preferred lender and one of only 14 non-bank lending companies licensed by the SBA to offer 7A loans. He is also the host of Art of SBA Lending podcast and recently lost the launched the SBA Ray YouTube channel. Welcome, Ray, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Cool. We always start at the same plot, you know, spot, and I always kind of joke around like, hey, man, you were born, you ended up on my show. Could you fill out that little gap in between? So kind of how did you get into this space? You know, I, I told my story many times, and I normally start at 21 when I f- fell into SBA, but I want to take it before that for a second, because before this, I actually haven't told anyone this or been public about this, but talking to more and more entrepreneurs and hearing their stories, I feel like it might resonate with at least someone. And for that reason, I want to share it. You know, my family, my, my parents moved me down to Florida when I was young, they got a divorce early and my dad was a mailman. My mom was a waitress and we were living in Boca Raton, which is a very rich area, but we were not rich, quite the opposite. Actually growing up, there was, evictions, car repossessions, didn't have money for much. I managed to get to college with a scholarship. Um, and then I, that's when I fell into SBA through an internship my senior year. And I say that because um, that story resonates with a lot of other people that have become very successful. And I feel like having that chip on your shoulder gives you that extra push to really make it to the next level later in your career. So I'm thankful for the experience. And I felt so lucky to land into SBA lending because it's actually a great job for folks like myself that you want to build your own thing, but you also don't have the risk tolerance to be an entrepreneur hundred percent. So you have the base salary, the benefits, and then unlimited upside, but you, you are working for someone, but the good news is I get to work with entrepreneurs every day and I just love it. It's interesting. You're like, you know, you're talking about risk capital. I think it's a lot more, I think it's a lot more risky and a lot harder to start a business from scratch just because it's a whole different skill set. Um, just figure out if you have market fit, find out if your product even gets adapted into the market space. And um, like, if you just look at statistics, you know, the majority of those fail, like very, very few, if you, you know, uh, somebody asked me like, Hey, you've started so many businesses. Why don't you just go start a different one now that you're looking for something to do? Why are you buying businesses? And I said, if I want to guarantee that I create a business that hits a million dollar mark, statistically, I think the number worked out to where I'd have to start, like, I think it's close to 2000 businesses. If I just followed just pure statistics, right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, seven out of 10 businesses fail after so many years. And then a few more fell after that many years. And after five years, it's like 5% of them are left. And out of those 5%, only uh, a certain percentage of those hit a level of significance, which is a million dollars a year in revenue or more. You look back, it's like, I don't, I'm 50. I, I'm not going to go out and start 50, you know, 2001 businesses to hit that one. Right. No, so, uh, and no but, one's going to lend you the money to do it either, by the way, because I mean, we, I was just at an SBA conference last week and the, one of these guys out of Washington, he basically said 75% of the SBA loans right now through the 7A program, which is the flagship program. Um, and this is about a, this year will probably be about a $24 billion program. 75% of that volume of SBA, which you can use SBA for a number of things, but most people are using it for either business acquisition or commercial real estate and startup is very difficult. So not only is it a safer bet to buy an existing profitable business, but also if you're going to look for financing to do it, you really, you, 
you don't have much of a choice. I mean, acquisition financing is very active right now. Startup is is not. Right. I mean, it depends. Like, like there's a lot of people that say, well, if I'm in software, there's always the you know the angel capital and venture capital rot. But the, the, the what they don't understand there is the game they're playing is a very cutthroat game. Um, you know, I would still, even if I was starting a, a software company, I would go out and find something that's both profitable, has a customer base that would align with the one I wanted to create, and then maybe add my idea on as an additional product rather than to create something from scratch with no funding sources, no capital coming out of it and try to create a, a tool. And, uh, you know, I came from that space. I came, I, I was in that, you know, when all my buddies were making millions in the dot-com, I was a defense contractor. So I jumped out to the dot-com side. Now, unfortunately I got to see it crash and burn. <laughs> it was around 2007, 2008, but, uh, you know, I've seen both sides of this and, I just think you have a uh, higher probability of, of being successful buying existing businesses. I agree. And the SBA portfolio, you know, kind of confirms that because the overall default rate is relatively low. Um, and yeah. And, and again, we're doing, I'm doing deals in the one to $6 million range. So obviously deals go higher than that in, in the world. Um, it's just out, that that would be outside my wheelhouse in SBA. But you know, if you're looking at, buy or start something in this small space, you're going to have a 10x easier time getting acquisition financing. Let's jump right into that, the, the, the requirement. So if I'm either buying and or selling a company, what is the window that SBA will fund and, and finance? Well, the 7A program, like I mentioned, it goes up to $5 million. So you can do um, a $6 million deal pretty easily. Uh, you can even go above that if the seller is willing to um, hold some paper. So, you know, starting on the seller side, you know, cause you're setting yourself up to sell one, two, three years from now, you know, it's important to kind of set yourself up. Right. So if you think you're going to be selling it for seven, eight, nine million, and maybe you would know more than I would, but you know, there's a, there, there's sometimes a little bit of a gap between SBA and the conventional market. So you may have to hold a little bit of seller paper to get the loan down to 5 million in those situations. But what you really need to know is that the SBA lender is underwriting your historical tax returns first and foremost, so three years worth, and then the current year to date. But most of the emphasis would be on your last two years plus the current year to date, um, and, and absolutely the last year plus interim has to support the debt at a pretty comfortable level. But different lenders will have different approaches to exactly what they're looking for, how much debt service coverage, how many years, et cetera. But that's a good place to start is just making sure the business tax returns will support it. Yeah. At first you said your tax returns, but you're referring to the business you're acquiring tax returns. The seller of the business. Yep. Yeah. The, the seller of the business there, the tax returns. The, person, of, the business tax returns. Yeah. The business tax returns. All right. Just wanted to clarify that. So now we can, you know, go five million a little bit more if we can get the seller to carry back a note, uh, which is not uncommon. There's a lot of sellers that kind of expect that. And what's the timeline like? From um, I bring a deal, like I bring the paperwork to you, or I sit down and go, okay, here's a company. You know, what are we looking for as far as like time to close? I, you know, I'll answer that, but I don't want to gloss over. I don't want to hijack your podcast either, but you, you mentioned a lot of sellers are expecting the seller financing. I don't know if that's the case, right? If, if it's your first time selling and you don't have someone in your corner telling you this and you're not listening to this podcast, you may not expect that. You may want to just cash out at closing. And it is good advice to sellers to say, hey, you may, you may be expected to hold 10% note. I don't require it. A lot of buyers want it. It's encouraged but there are a lot of lenders that do require it. So it is important to know that um, in terms of the process. Yeah. So there's, there's a, uh, so when I say it, a lot of sellers expected, if they're actively shopping right now, there's a spot right below kind of the spot you're talking about that, you know, the, the purchase price is five, five to 6 million or less. Uh, they're right below where private equity is interested at all. And that's mm -hmm. their next, that's their next cash buyer. So if they're if they can't grab the interest of a you know private equity or even a strategic purchase, which is like a competitor wanting just your customer list and 
wanting to bolt you on. If they can't get the eyeball of that and they're looking for an acquisition entrepreneur like myself, right, they're either going to carry some form of note or like the price has, you know, it's just, we won't be able to buy it without it, right? There's not a lot of guys like myself that would leave that kind of cash undeployed, right? You know, I have a house buying addiction. If there's more than a few hundred grand laying around in any of my accounts, I go buy another property. I, I, I stick it in real estate. So, uh, you know, I know for a fact that I would have to scrounge if it was, you know, if somebody wanted the entire mountain cash. And I, and I know that most of the investors I come across are like that. They're not sitting on a huge amount. Now, they might be holding money back for a down payment. Uh, I've got two guys right now that want me to help them find businesses and they've held back enough uh, as far as a 10% down to max out what the SBA would lend. So mm-hmm. we're just, now we're just looking well, for the right business. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's a, there's a spot and, and, and you're right. Most of the guys out there, you know, that just day one start to think about selling. I'll be honest. They don't, they don't have much in order. You say that, you know, you should be pre- preparing to sell for three years. Most of the guys, if I talk to them and they haven't been working on it for a while, they're not prepared, right? They don't have their account, their accounts readily, their balance statements ready. They can give me their tax returns, you know, of course, but uh, a lot of the stuff that you or I would expect to see um, is almost created once you ask for it. <laughs> um, it's just 100%. part of, yeah, part of the nature of, you know, what I call is accidental entrepreneurs. These guys didn't go to you know school, get an MBA, and decided to create a business. Mm-hmm. They were really good at making a widget. Somebody wanted the widget, and then so they made them one, and somebody else wanted one. And the next thing they know, they're producing widgets and making three or four million. And time to retire, they go to sell it, and the only books in accounting they've ever had to do is enough to appease their tax accountant, right? Which yeah. And, and that's the majority of these businesses that are selling right now are like that. And it's the baby boomer phenomenon because they're all approaching that age of retirement and, and they're selling. And that's exactly right, which I think it's cool that you're doing this podcast uh, because this is how would you have known this stuff if but 10 years ago, right? right. You have, have to have maybe been introduced to a business broker now you have a lot more access to this type of information, which I think is great. By the way, well, you mentioned like with the strategic buyers, uh, private equity, sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, they'll buy a portion, keep the owner there for a number of years. Important distinction with the SBA is that the seller has to fully exit the business after closing. In fact, they could only stay on for a period of up to 12 months as a consultant um, to help transition the business. That's important because uh, often you see an LOI drafted that says they're going to stay on for two years. That's ineligible. So then they have to rework that, which is usually not a problem. But in some of the cases where they want to stay on for five years, like that's absolutely a non-starter for SBA. There is an education process for the both the seller and the buyer, right? Well, yeah. And, and the buyer has, I mean, this is in part why I started the uh, YouTube channel, because I was searching, I was seeing like what's out there and every video I listened to had incorrect information. Now I'm an SBA lender. I'm a direct lender. I have been for 11 years. Most of the folks on YouTube uh, are intermediaries. They know enough to be dangerous, but they're putting out information as if it's fact. And I constantly see misinformation out there. But even beyond that, when the buyers start talking to SBA lenders, they're still getting information that's a little iffy because every, this is important to know, the SBA 7A program, it's not like an FHA loan where it is what it is. It's it's like clay and every lender can mold that program into what they want to do in terms of how they structure the loan, what they'll require, what they'll approve, what they won't approve and what their process will look like. It could be day and night. I talked to a buyer, you know, last week, and we do a lot with the trades and there's sometimes these special licenses like an HVAC license, for example. And one lender said, you have to have the license holder who's a non-owner guarantee the loan. Okay. Another lender says the license holder has have to have equity in the loan. You know, we say something different than that. So now they're talking and, and some of these lenders are saying that's what the SBA requires. They're saying that's what the SBA requires. And and so I talked to a lot of folks where I have to clear up that kind of misconception that, no, it's not the SBA, it's that bank. 
And there's a lot of other options available sometimes. So the SBA is just a guarantee authority on that, right? They're guaranteeing up to, I think, 70% of the loan, you know, after the bank has underwritten it. And, you know, so there's some, like, there are some guidelines that you have to follow for SBA, right? But the, everything else is left up. You know, the decision-making process isn't approved by the SBA. The bank has to approve it. And then it goes over for them to, to like, check it. Is that correct? Um, so they guarantee 75% of the loan. Uh, if you're a preferred lender, which I highly recommend you work with a preferred lender, then they're doing everything in-house on behalf of the SBA. Okay. They have delegated authority. Mm-hmm. So like for us, we underwrite, we approve the loan, we close the loan. The SBA never sees a thing. Only in the case of a default, do we bring in the SBA, then they check our work. And if this T is not, you know, cross, they can say, we don't have to honor this guarantee. That right there is why your lender is pissing you off with all these tedious requests, by the way. Right. Um, now, then they get, then they do offer the, the 75% guarantee on what the loss would be for the lender. And that's what allows the lender to make these loans with minimal collateral on these long terms, 10 year repayment schedules, 10% equity injections. That's the key right there. The, um, one of the, one of the, I guess, I don't know if it's a rumor or a fact is that the SBA requires you to kind of stay in your lane. So they want to see relevant experience in the industry that you're buying. Is that true? Or is that a, is that a myth? Great question because yes, some banks will require direct industry experience. Some will require transferable, some will require relevant, some will require management. Like it really just runs the gambit. I mean, the folks that are in the space like myself, that are here working with searchers, uh, you know, ETA professionals, like the folks that uh, really uh, are savvy, um, but come from private equity or come from corporate America and they want to buy the business. Yeah, there is a home for you at a shop like ours or some of the other folks that, you know, I compete with on a daily basis because you know how to manage people, you know how to manage a P&L run a budget, and maybe you were in a field that was similar, maybe as a service-based industry, maybe something makes, it makes sense kind of, but it doesn't always have to. We see a lot of private equity buying landscaping, for example. A lot of banks can't wrap their head around that, but we've done a few of those. So it just varies depending on what the SBA lender is wanting. Okay. So what are the, you, you mentioned that there's myths floating around on YouTube and stuff. What are the ones that bug you the most? Oh boy. Uh, so, uh, one would be equity requirements, um, and seller financing. Uh, so I heard somebody say that, you know, the seller has to uh, hold a, a, a 10 year note for, or I'm sorry, a seller note for 10%. Um, which is like I said, encouraged, but that's not written into the SBA's, you know, SOP. Uh, there's also uh, a, an interesting um, situation where if you own a business and you want to buy another business in that same exact industry with the same exact ownership percentage, the SBA and this isn't written in black and white, but our basically lobbying arm of our industry has clarified that this is acceptable. You can finance that transaction at up to 100%. So if you own a uh, cleaning business and you want to buy a second cleaning business, same NICS code, same ownership percentages, the SBA will allow that to be financed at 100%. Now, of course, I'm going to look at the equity on the balance sheet to just make sure it's not overly leveraged. Cause again, I mean, at least 10% equity somewhere, you know, it's fine. Um, but that was one where I, when I put that out there on Twitter, no one, everyone was like, really? I've never heard that before. And it's true. Awesome. What else is, uh, so if you own a business and you're buying, say, a competitor, and um, as, you know, that competitor's pretty much lined up, when you said same amount of equity, what does that mean? Like, uh, you own 80% of the cleaning company and you're buying 80% yeah, of the cleaning company? Same or? owners owning the same percentage. So you can form a new entity, but it's going to be the same makeup, cap structure, all that. Um, I, I also saw one. I mean, one guy went through and he was like, you you need to, and this this isn't maybe fully relevant to M&A, but you need two years in business to get an SBA loan. Well, that's not true because you can technically do a startup. 
you need a 660 FICO. No, uh, he was just saying you need these things and it just wasn't true. Yeah, I was told you need a 650 or 680 uh, yeah. uh, score or higher uh, by a couple of guys that have been in the industry for 20 plus years. Maybe their lenders requiring that? Correct. Correct. The SBA requires us to assess the sponsor's character and their credit history is one way of doing that. But in no way does SBA put a score on it. What's the lowest score you've ever seen financed? This week, actually, I just got an approval. I don't, I don't want to, I shouldn't be like marketing. I like, I don't want everyone with horrible credit to call me after this, just like this. <laughs> but I'll tell you, this was a real estate purchase for these three individuals who started a behavioral um, center, uh, mm -hmm. you know, ABA, things like that um, for children. And they anyway, they leasing this two story building in Michigan, they've just constantly been taking over more and more of it. Now they have the whole bottom floor. They want to buy the building, financing it. They don't have enough. They, they keep reinvesting to build out more space and expand the business. So they don't have a lot of liquidity and the real estate's being sold for 3.7. So they came to us because you can finance real estate at 100 percent financing, which another myth. I mean, I just had a bank reach out to me yesterday who's an SBA lender. Um, well-known shop, uh, here in my state of Florida. And he's like, can you tell me how you're doing this? Because my credit people think you need a 10% injection on real estate. And I said, well, show me where it says you need that, you know, cause it's not there. So anyway, we're doing this deal now, right before well, we put it into underwriting on Monday of last week, we run the credit, um, uh, and, and one score is 595. Okay. There's a story behind there uh, that you that we listened to. The other two owners had uh, good credit, and we got that approval on Friday. Uh, so five days later, we fully underwrote it, approved it, got comfortable with the credit, and um, gave them a commitment letter. So that is probably the lowest score I've seen, under 600. So I think you just dispelled another myth. I had it in my head, and I don't know where I got this, that... Uh... You can't go in partnerships with somebody and buy a business through the SBA. It's single owner or single entity. Like my LLC buys this, but you know, if like I can't be a fifty percent owner on an SBA loan. You can't buy into a business. You can't use an SBA loan to buy fifty percent of a business. That's that's the rule. But you can form a business, a company, an LLC, 50-50, two partners, and then go buy a business. And buy a hundred percent of that business. Okay, and then they they check the credit worthiness of both parties parties on that. Yeah, and 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 you know if one is six twenty and the other is eight hundred, you know that's probably a good reason to be okay with something like that because you average it out. I mean, if you remove the six twenty, then yeah, it looks better, right? One right. guy, but how can adding a person that's willing to guarantee the loan? pledge all available collateral and help in the business. And, and they're, I assume adding value in one way or another, how is adding subtracting to me? I don't believe in that. Yeah. I was always told that, uh, like, you know, if you have a low score, then we can't give you more than, you know, we, we had, we've had companies like this where they, they were told that if you've got a low score, we can't add you on as more than a 20% owner because they'll have to pull a, background on you and your credit worthiness will keep us from getting loans and bank financing. So exactly. You see that often. And if there is something really problematic, then yes. You know, um, I mean, for example, if you've defaulted on a government loan, you're ineligible. So student loan, FHA, SBA loan, even if it's a thousand years ago, you're, you can't get an SBA loan. You'd have to make the government whole before you got an SBA loan, write them a, a big old check. Interesting. Well, that was a new one. I, uh, so if you've defaulted on a student loan, which I, I know people who have, <laughs> uh, so that would, that would forego, forego that. So that's cool. Uh, it's good to know. Uh, what, what else do we know? Like, let's just go from, uh, I guess to start from the seller's perspective, I've got my business. I'm looking to sell it in the next year, two years, three years. What is it that I, and, and I want, I want a big check at the end of that. I don't want to like owner finance the whole thing out. And, uh, you know, so I want to, I, I see listings all the time to say they're pre-approved by the SBA. What is that? And how does a seller go about the process of getting that started? 
Yeah, so these these are on market deals typically, and the brokers will work with someone like myself who will look at the seller's financials, tax returns, and the SIM, and basically opine on whether it's eligible and qualifies for SBA and what the ballpark terms would look like. Um, I'll look at basically debt service coverage, and I'll also just uh, read the SIM for any potential red flags like customer concentration, supplier issues, supply chain issues, anything like that. And I'll usually go back and forth with the broker um, up front to iron out some of those wrinkles to make it a little smoother for the seller. And then buyers will now know this is an SBA deal. And ultimately what that means is that it has tax returns that show profit. The one, the other 50% of deals brokers are listing don't. And so those are going to be cash seller financing. So <clears throat> a business owner, you know, if, if he's out there and he's trying to, that's another thing to point out though, is a business owner who's been running his business to minimize taxes for the last few years. If he's starting to think about selling it, um, you really need to start showing a profit. Most of us buyers are looking at paying you based on some format of your seller's discretionary income and or uh, a more advanced for, uh, term that's EBITDA. But um, the whole point is, is we do it. I mean, there's ad backs and stuff like that, but there's also ways for you to run a company cleaner, make the numbers look more realistic as opposed to just like you're trying to save taxes and uh, you get more, more for it. And we get the a better picture of how, uh, how efficient it's run. Um, there's, there's a rumor, or I guess there's some uh, notion on, from my side of the, the fence here, the acquisition entrepreneurs that the uh, it's, it's that the SBA loan does some of its own due diligence. So it kind of helps us to make sure that we're buying something, you know, that would qualify, right? There's a, there's a qualification process. That's almost a, a due diligence, due diligence of its own. What does the SBA look for as far as legal liabilities and other stuff that would happen during the due diligence process? Yeah, a couple of things. So, you know, we're going to underwrite the deal. So we're going to ask those same types of questions that you're probably asking due diligence about customers, key employees, suppliers, cash cycle, all of that. So you just have a second set of eyes, really a second and a third, because me and then my underwriter. But uh, sometimes the buyer often goes deeper than we do. Um, so I wouldn't say we're, this is outsourcing your due diligence by any means. I think you should keep doing that. Then we do a third party valuation just to come up with the valuation for the business. Um, that's some, another added layer of protection. You know, that comes in low. It gives you the op option to renegotiate. Um, now, I will say this, and it's probably going to help sellers more than buyers, but I'm just, I'm just transparent, so I'm just going to give it away. The SBA only requires the valuation to meet or exceed the loan amount. So if you have cash coming in from the buyer and a 10% seller note and the appraisal the business valuation comes in 10, 15% low, SBA is probably still fine. Buyer could technically overpay. The lender themselves may not approve that. I mean, I typically try to be as business friendly as possible, but like there might be a lender just, just says, I'm not okay with that, but just know that the SBA allows that. Okay. Um, once the loan's approved, the lender, myself, would do searches on all entities, uncover liens, tax issues, judgments, things of that nature. And all that will have to, for the most part, be cleared before closing. So that also helps ensure that the buyer is, most of these are asset purchases anyway, but you still want to clear up any of that noise before closing. Okay. <clears throat> you mentioned that uh, like you do um a check on for liens and taxes and stuff like that you do that for both the buyer and the seller to make sure there's no okay mm -hmm. that's cool so the, now we've got the the sellers kind of pre-qualified we know what what's there and uh, we know that you as an underwriter will take a couple looks at it and that we still should do our own 
what are, is there any other myths out there? I know that, uh, I mean, there's just so many different people doing, you know, these SBA loans that I think that the general public, um, has an issue with like getting straight information. Yeah. Well, the, the process is, is a big one. Um, the process is, and you, you asked me this earlier in the episode, we got sidetracked. So I'll tell you about the process because this is the part that's probably going to vary a lot from lender to lender. Uh, I look at the process in three parts. There's the pre-approval part where we're kind of getting familiar with the transaction, getting a package, getting uh, the story behind the transaction, and just understanding the business. Essentially, you want the uh, BDO or loan officer, whatever the person that is in my seat is calling themselves to have a full understanding of this business so that when they go present it to their credit counterparts, that they're doing so in a holistic manner and they're not missing anything because when they put out the term sheet or the proposal, you want that thing to hold weight. And that's a big, huge misconception because I got someone reach out to me yesterday. They said, Hey, I'm shopping for term sheets. I wanted to slap them because you're not shopping for the term sheet. You're shopping for a loan for a lender. Okay. And I could, there's half the lenders out there can create a term sheet on their own without anyone else seeing it and putting it out there to reel someone in and you can make it look as nice as possible. But when you go get the final approval and the commitment letter comes in and it's slightly different now that credit has looked at it, the buyer's going to say WTF. And, or if that doesn't turn into an approval, which happens all the time. So hold your horses. Let's make sure you're finding the right partner that actually knows what they're doing and knows what they're talking about. Cause there's like five of us. And so, so then you go and you, you get the proposal out. And when I do it, I have a 97% approval rate. So that's as good as gold. And that whole process, when we're all cranking three, three days. Okay. Um, then we go into final underwriting. Okay. This is where you're going to work towards getting a commitment letter. That's when you know, the financing is hundred percent committed to, um, and it's really just a matter of getting a bunch of paperwork, um, the business valuation as well. And, you know, things like that, but, uh, that's kind of where you want to get to as quickly as possible because you're under contract and you need to know that the lender's on board. That's where we've disrupted the industry. Cause we're getting there. I just told you, I submitted a one on Monday commitment letter came on Friday. Okay. That's four days. That's I think unheard of, um, to get to a commitment letter in, in that amount of time. And the reason we're able to do that is because we just have a different model. Like I put a, I put a, uh, a poll on LinkedIn into my industry last week. And I said, how many deals does your underwriter have on your desk at, at a time? And, oh, and 56% said four deals or more. So that means when you're sending your deal to underwriting, half the time it's behind three other deals. So we, and also the poll said basic, there's a second poll that basically said we have three underwriters for, we have three lenders like myself for every one underwriter. So that's why that's happening. Okay. We have one-to-one so that we don't have the bottleneck. And we get to the commitment letter sooner. That's all they, that's all people care about. That's all you need to know mm-hmm. um, is step two, get your commitment as fast as possible. And then we go into closing. Closing is, is rough. Okay. There's no way to sugarcoat it. You're not, you've never been through anything like an SBA closing. Okay. Um, you just want a team that's responsive, knows what they're doing. And the timeline is very much predicated on the bar we're supplying the lender with everything that is needed of which there may be 30 items and maybe half of those are third party situations. And so the buyer can get in there and this is important for the seller. Now the buyer can get in there, be very active, get everything they need to do within 10 business days, but you're now you're waiting on the IRS or, or you're waiting on uh, your accountant and you're waiting and you're waiting. And so that stuff starts trickling in and then you get to the closing. And honestly, from the point of commitment on average, 30 to 45 days. It's better than what I'm hearing from a lot of people. A lot of people are telling me it's 60 to 90. So I usually tell people to go under LOI for, for 60, I mean 90 and let's shoot for 60. And that's from the point of signing your LOI. That to me is, is doable, but I mean, yeah, a lot of lenders are very much backed up right now. 
And I get a lot of messages like, hey, this is Dragon with this lender, this and that. And, you know, we jump on it. Uh, we that's that's, you know, our model is just kind of more based on speed and process. Um, and, and we charge for it. Don't get me wrong. You know, all of our deals are priced at the SBA's maximum rate, which is prime plus 2.75 percent, which most other lenders are charging that anyway. We're just trying to do it and add value. So that's 6.75 percent today. It's adjustable mm-hmm. rate and the rates are going up. And that's all very important to know as well. So it's an adjustable rate. Rates are going up. What is the loan typically? I know it's different if you have real estate involved or not real estate involved, but what is the loan typically amortized over so people know how to calculate the debt service that they need to be able to cover? Yeah, that's true. It's it's a 10-year AM. Okay. Fully amortizing. No prepayment penalty, which is great. Um, and then, yeah, if, it's, if the real estate is 51% or more of the proceeds, you can do a 25-year, which is incredible for cash flow. Mm-hmm. And there is a prepayment penalty on that three years, but it's super worth it. And you'll have more rate options as well. I'm doing, I've done acquisitions like that where they're buying. And by the way, it's based on the proceeds, not the appraisal. So the contract, the, the purchase price allocation in the contract will say real estate, 1 million business, 900,000, boom, 25 year term, you're golden. Uh, I did, I'm doing one right now for an auto nuts and bolts distributor, something like that. And it would buying the real estate in the business, but the real estate was not 51%. So we offered a pretty creative structure that basically involved two loans. So one was 25% and we moved as much there as possible to just help with the cash flow. So we're, and that, that, by the way, that came from my credit team. That, that's that idea. That's the way they think here as a non-bank lender, it's a lot different than banks. And so I was like, oh, wow, that's super creative. And it's coming from credit who sometimes gets a bad rap in the industry, but they're, they're not here. You know, they, they're great to work with here. All right. Is there any, um, like, like, you know, I used to be in the real estate space and people go, I'm pre-approved. Is there anything as a buyer that we can do to get kind of pre-qualified to know that we, uh, if we were going to a seller and they're like, you know, Hey, I would like you to use SBA loan. Like we can, we're pre-approved or is there a process we can go to, to know that we're clean and ready to go. Yeah, I do do that, um, especially the last couple of years because it's this been so crazy. It's been a crazy seller's market, and the brokers uh, want to know you're serious. The sellers want to know you're serious. So I do it, but I do it in in the context with the disclaimer that this is this is useless. Okay, but if it helps you, go for it. I basically said you have cash to do it for this amount, this range. Mm-hmm. You have some experience in something um, that will work for the businesses you're looking for, I think, and your credit is good. Um, That's basically all that is, but 70% of the underwriting is based on the business. So that's why, you know, we can't really do much until they find the business. But so I'll throw one out there for you just because I'm curious. It's one of my friends and a potential client. I have a friend who is, uh, if you're listening, you know who I'm talking about. I have a friend who uh, has just finished law school and he's about to pass the bar, but he's buying up auto related business. He owns a tow truck company now. And we were looking at a tent and detail company with a big yard beside it that we could use as a impound yard for the tow. But is, you know, we were talking about staying in your lane. The SBA wants to see you have industry experience. This guy will have a business law degree in contracts and papers, right? Like that, you know, negotiations and contracts, is kind of his focus out of his law school, but uh, is because because it's a law degree. Is that enough? I mean, it's like an accounting degree. If you have an accounting degree, can you buy a bakery, or are they going to look at it and go industry experience? You never baked a cake in your life. I mean, I would probably decline it because they chose to go to law school. And that's <laughs> probably a bad idea. But no, the uh, I don't know. I mean, do you know anything about a P and L statement? If you graduate law school, I don't know. Um, have you ever managed a person? I don't know. So I would probably start there with those two questions because those are two very important skills. Yeah. You could probably get the deal done really well, but then day one after uh, you know you buy the business, I don't know what that looks like. What about most of the, most of the guys I work with? Our number one jo- job uh, rule is we don't buy ourselves another job. So we're looking for buying things big enough that we're more of a chairman of the board, and there's a general manager in place, ten or more employees then we are looking to buy something so small that I have to show up every day and know that industry. 
is that a problem with an SBA loan? With like, you know, that the, uh, the owner is going to be one step removed. Like he owns other entities and other stuff to run. It's a very critical question with SBA because, um, SBA won't allow us to lend to passive businesses. Not that I think that's passive, but you have to be very careful in your approach. So if you're, if you have a large operation and so you have management layers, that's fine. Everyone reporting to you, you have control over the business ultimately. Um, and you have that infrastructure in place, that is fine. But control is the key word with SBA. So does that GM have autonomy to fire, hire, manage the money, everything like that? That could be an issue, okay? But if they're reporting to the owner and there's weekly check-ins and the owner's making the big decisions, that could work. That's more what we would be looking at is like, you know, weekly and, you know, weekly check-ins, weekly financial reports, quarterly uh, goal planning, you know, oversight. But like I said, more of a chairman of a board than, than actually like the CEO show up every day and go out and help you make sales is what a lot of the acquisition entrepreneurs that I talk to is what they're looking to do. Right. Uh, if you look at somebody like me, I have a pest control company. I have a mastermind company, I have real estate holdings and like, I don't need a 40 hour job, but I'm looking for another company to acquire. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of looking at another industry right now. I'm trying to figure out how to get into but, um, you know, it sounds like it may or may not be a fit for like me to use SBA to do that if I've got think, that many controls. I think it could be a fit for you. Um, have you, you know, the question is, have you, do you know how to run the business, right? right? If you know how to run the business, but you've elevated yourself to that level where you can have uh, multiple holdings and managers in place, I think I'm as an SBA lender, more inclined to do it than somebody who's, let's say, graduating law school or, and they've never done it and they want to hire someone to do it. That to me is more of an issue. Yeah, I think you, uh, I, I didn't tell you the full story. The guy's my age, right? He's, he went to law school in his 40s. He's owned, you know, a couple of different businesses that were on high six figures and owns a, he's a private lender in the real estate space. He, you know, he just went to, uh, you know, he's got significant holdings right now. But uh, like I said, he just went back to law school kind of on a dare. We were like uh, myself and a couple other people used to start talking about doing it. And like, what are you afraid of? Just do it. And uh, you keep talking about it. Go after it. And uh, I said that to him. His wife said that to him. And a few other people said it to him. And one day he just took the LSAT and went to law school. <laughs> OK, well, you and your friends are weird. Me and my <laughs> friends do dares a totally different way. But whatever works. <laughs> I almost went with him. It was one of those. My wife's like, "Why don't you go?" I was like, "Because I have five college degrees and seven majors. I don't need a. I don't need a law degree, right? I, I am schooled out." Um, oh boy. A lot of them are like I say that just kind of jokingly, but a lot of them are like associates and dual major associates and dual majors bachelors. So it sounds more impressive to me as I always joke around and say I have more education than the average fool should have, but. Uh, I learned recently, like in the last 15 years, I got a better chance of learning from somebody out in the field doing it than I am from going back to get another degree in something. So now I just hire mentors, um, people in the space. I interview brilliant people like you and ask good questions and take notes and watch my shows later. <laughs> well, you know, that's the new way to do it because, you know, I a lot of my borrowers have MBAs. And so I always toy around with the idea of getting one. But I mean... I don't know if it's worth it for me. I like reading books and consuming content, podcasts, all of that. And I feel like I can learn anything, but I, I've been told there's more beyond just learning the content of, of an MBA program, but I'm leaning against no, but um, just because I, I, I'm not sure if it's worth it for me. I don't know if you have any. The only reason I did mine or the main reason is I had hit a spot in my career where I either needed to learn. I was, I kept hitting uh, senior director, like, you know, I got a VP title for a few months and then I quit, but I could like that executive VP was elusive to me. I either needed to learn to play golf and go hang out with these people or get my master's degree. And I just figured an MBA was a lot cheaper than learning to play golf. So, uh, and I'm good <laughs> at school. So I quite literally, uh, I'd actually, I had actually started law school. I actually, uh, got accepted to a part-time program, ended up uh, going to about three or four classes and ended up in a divorce and couldn't afford the alimony the you know all the bills and all the other stuff and law school so i backed out 
And it, it, the reality hit me was like, I really didn't like the classes I took. And I really, I went through about a half dozen attorneys before I found one I even liked. It's like, I don't like these assholes. Why do I want to become one of them? <laughs> <laughs> like I thought I wanted to do intellectual property law. And one day uh, it, 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 while I was uh, making that shift, I actually sat with the uh, IP lawyer at one of the startups and watched what he did and, you know, talked to him. You know, I worked beside him. I moved my desk beside him to see what this guy does and did my project management right beside the IP lawyer. And I realized I didn't want to do that. It's just, he just knee deep in paperwork. Doesn't talk to people all the time. He's just researching, 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 mm-hmm. but uh, you know, and here I am researching businesses now. So, uh, yeah, but, but that's different. Yeah. So I, I would say you don't need it as I think the natural progression for you, if you ask me, was to become an acquisition entrepreneur. All right. Go buy another business, right? Build your portfolio. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to stay in the, I, I don't want to do anything different than what I'm doing. I want to stay in the industry and kind of change it from within, but no, all right, fine. Then, you know, you heard it here. I'm going to not get an MBA per the advice of Mr. <laughs> oh, your parents are going to call me and kill me. My number is on the website. You can call me. I'll apologize. All right. So let's go back into the SBA stuff. So we're, we're kind of coming close to the top of the hour. Are there any other like, you know, man, I wish I didn't like, are there things you know now about the process you wish you would have known day one and you really think that like, anybody getting into maybe your role even like should know about, um, you know, helping people get SBA loans or the process or whatever. I would 1000% recommend SBA lending as a career. Nobody goes to job. Nobody wants to be an SBA lender when they grow up. Trust me. (laughs) I think I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, This is much better. And I make more money than doctors and lawyers. You can make Wall Street plus income doing this. Just so you know, you also, it's like a franchise, right? You, I, a a bank might send you to a market or you might just be in the market they want to get into and you get to go to market how you see fit, call brokers, whoever, form partnerships, and then run your deals. Um, Meanwhile, you do get a base and benefits and some people like that. Um, So I I think we would definitely benefit from some new blood into the industry, one. Um, And then two, uh, we touched on it earlier, sellers thinking maybe right now they're having the epiphany i want to sell my business all right and they've been doing the tax strategies so you know ideally you're going to sell in 2024 because 2022 you're going to have clean books you're going to you know uh talk to your accountant you're going to set yourself up the right way 2023 you're going to have another year and then 2024 you're going to sell okay that's ideal um, then you, you're looking at 2021, 2022 taxes, or I'm sorry, 22, 23 taxes. Um, you're going to get the most for your business. Buyers are going to be able to qualify for financing. Um, and you're 24 months out, right? Um, some people don't have that luxury. They have a health issue or they have to relocate. And so then you're probably not going to get as much as you want, but you can still go through with the broker and the accountant and kind of identify some expenses within the business that probably won't transfer over to the new owner. Also, maybe they're non-recurring. Maybe you just redid your website. You know, there's things like that you can isolate on the P&L and the tax returns. But the key with an SBA lender is to make sure they're perfectly documented so that we can rely on them in our underwriting. And we could do it that way too. So I, I do see kind of a combination of both. But if you have the luxury of waiting, you know, now is probably the time to set yourself up for success. How hard is it to do, is it even possible to do a refinance? Could I work with a business owner, right, who just needs to exit, uh, buy the business now with some form of giving him some down payment, give him, you know, have him finance it to me with the agreement that after two years of proper tax returns and bookkeeping and stuff that I can go to the SBA and refinance him out? That's the exact advice I give to folks that they just can't get it done the right way with an SBA loan. So the SBA requires, this is very important because it's very specific in the SOP. It's one of the, probably came out like five years ago, this rule, but essentially the seller note has to, you have to have 24 consecutive monthly payments before it becomes eligible. So the lender is going to ask for proof of 24 consecutive payments, and then you can 
apply for the refinance. And, and why that's important is because during COVID, for example, uh, you missed a payment or they deferred a payment or they forgave a payment. If you're taking the SBA guidance for in black and white as it's written, then you have to wait 24 months from the time you, so if you miss the payment on month 21, you start over. And to me, that's, I don't agree with that. And there's probably a case to be made for SBA to reconsider, but that would require sending it out to the SBA, which you don't want to do. So just very important to keep that nice and tight, 24 consecutive payments. Got it. So we are at the top of the hour, man. I enjoy chatting with you and stuff. Let's make sure people know how to get a hold of you. Uh, we have it on the screen if you're watching. Uh, if you're on the YouTube, you're on my live uh, feed here. You can see that. You can always catch our shows live and uncut, raw on YouTube. Uh, sorry, on uh, Twitter, on LinkedIn. I think we've got our YouTube turned on now. So uh, uh, that just happened this time. Uh, so anyway, the best way to find Ray is on his YouTube channel. And if you go there and you look for SBA Ray, you should be able to find him. I did the search right before he started. It's pretty easy. He's uh, got a good channel there started, and that's a great way. Is there any other way you'd like people to reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, if you want to contact me, I guess you can email me at uh, where I work, Fundex. So that's rdrew at fundexsolutions.com. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you on the show. Um, there's always the last question I love to ask is, what can myself and more my audience do for you? What is there a need we can actually uh, help you fulfill, or something we can get the word out about, or is there just something that uh, you want to finishing note? <laughs> well, I appreciate that, um, and you know, the channel that I created is I created it because of I felt the misinformation was was out there, and I'm literally just doing it to try to clear things up for people. And my goal is to get to 1,000 subscribers by the end of the year, and um, I need help doing that. So sharing my YouTube channel would be my uh, my ask. All right. Oh, I almost uh, hope you didn't hear that. I actually started <laughs> started one of your videos on accident. I was going to share it. We're on the show live, but we'll do that afterwards because it's going to play music over there. <laughs> no, no worry. I think it went to your headphones, so I don't think we Oh, cool. That's cool. I was like, oh, no. All right. So uh, I will share that, and uh, I'll actually share your channel. I'll, I'll subscribe to it. I have uh, two or three accounts on YouTube. I'll use. I'll subscribe for my personal one and my business one, and we'll get you going. I appreciate you being on the show today, um, and uh, I'll hang out for a few seconds after the show, and uh, we'll chat. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, everybody. That is the show today. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer -peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T. IEPM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.